You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source. So welcome back, everyone. I'm Melissa Zalouf, and you're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. Today, I'm joined by Eitan Reisel. Is that, am I saying that right? Reisel? Exactly. Reisel? Reisel. Reisel, you're right. Uh, who is a, was a former lead uh, in Google's gaming division, uh, is an all-round uh, game industry veteran who you may have read about recently because he just founded the first investment firm focused specifically on unearthing the next generation of Israeli gaming unicorns, V Games. Um, now, full disclosure, uh, V Games um, LP is Viola Ventures, who are also an early investor in Iron Source. So, with a with a thirty million fund under your belt, um, it's an incredibly exciting time to also be in the in the game industry. Uh, Eitan, we thought it would be fun to have you on the show, pick your brains about the new venture and how you see the evolution of the industry. So, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for inviting me. So why don't you sort of start by giving us the, the potted history uh, of your experience or your career in the game industry? Sure, sure. Well, we're not going back to kindergarten where I started playing games, but... Uh, <laughs> just just a little after, yeah, just yeah, a little yeah. after. Fast forwarding a little bit. Um, yes, yeah, so I was privileged um, to start working at Google in 2010. One of the, well, I'd say, I don't know if the first, but, you know, part of the first... Uh, team that was established here in Israel on the business side of things under May Blunt. Um, and then I, for several years, worked on more of the domestic market in 2014. A new opportunity came in place, which is pretty cool in a, such a big company, to start a new division, working with like game publishers on you know, any aspect that Google can support them with. Um, and we actually founded the first games team in Europe based out of Israel. There was another team in Mountain View and another team in Singapore. And those three teams covered all Google's uh, aspects of working with game publishers. So that's where I came into this world, got this opportunity to start this from scratch, build a pretty significant business and team, fell in love with the genre. Mm-hmm. Many reasons. Part of it is because I became a gamer myself and enjoyed what I'm doing. That that was going to be my next yeah, question. Yeah. So I'm glad you are you oh, answered yeah. it. Thanks, thanks. My wife is not hearing because she complains about this all the time. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I play three hours a day at least. Um, I have a good excuse. But it, also, I think the world of games is you know the speed of it, the fact that you're entertaining people, the fact that it's consumers, so you get feedback immediately if something is working or something is not. Really fascinated me. Um, moving forward a little bit, so I left Google 2018, did a few things in in other spaces, started doing some angel investment in this space, very quickly understood that that's probably not the right approach for me. Um, mm-hmm. Today, initial checks in game companies are more significant, especially because marketing cost, mm-hmm. cost is more expensive, and I decided to just take a model that is pretty common in Europe and the U.S., but not in Israel. So there are game investors here, of course, and I'm sure we both know a few of them, but we're the first actually vehicle that is dedicated to only this. So we only invest in content, only game developers. Yeah, and I'm really excited. We were on the road for eight months. Initial closing was the end of March. The fund is almost $40 million. Now we already have four portfolio companies as we speak, we're investing in our fifth company. So Nice. Moving fast. 
Yeah, yeah, very, very. Yeah, I try to keep the speed of the genre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now numbers are sky high, so. Uh, right, you'd have to. Now we're privileged to be on the right angle of this uh, craziness in the world. Mm-hmm. And and what what is it? Do you think that's because you're you're focused on uh, specific markets? Um, and and it's actually it's interesting. Um, I don't know how many people think of Israel as a um, sort of a gaming hub. Uh, what do you find about these ecos sort of the Israeli gaming ecosystem that's appealing or exciting from an investor's perspective? So one, you know, I think today more and more people that are in the industry understand the power of Israel, right? If you look only at the brands that came out of here or big companies like Playtika and Playarium and uh, Moon Active, of course, or the new Rising Star and Iron Source, you know, besides the fact that it's a, one of the largest ad networks, it is a game company today. And you now we can mention many more games. So there are several unicorns that came out of Israel in this space. Um, that's one. Two, I think there's very unique talent in Israel, um, especially on the monetization economy and marketing side of things, uh, where I think we're lacking a little bit, but I think you know, it's pretty unique. And games became so competitive that without those angles, I think it's uh, it's very hard to succeed. And if we combine all that, I think, you know, the Israeli chutzpah, the entrepreneurship, and, uh, you know, really the skill of some of the big companies here, I think it's we're only starting, and I think of another very interesting trend on that front is that you see more and more global companies opening offices here. Uh, it can be studios, it can be their marketing divisions, which I think is a you know a strong testimonial. And I'm privileged to, you know, I know many of the CEOs of the largest companies in the world, and they're all one interested in the fund because I see it as a strategic footprint in Israel. Who, you know, they really want to do acquisitions here and acquire and make you know see how they can navigate themselves. So, yeah, I think we're totally on the map. Um, we weren't five years ago, but I think we are today. Mm-hmm. And are there sort of specific areas of the industry that you're looking um, to invest in, um, or specific genres? Also, I mean, hyper casual has kind of been exciting for a while, but also um, probably quite competitive. Um, and, and also some of the Israeli companies, uh, Israeli game companies, um, haven't traditionally hailed from, from that genre. So where are you sort of looking right. to, to focus? So one, we are a global fund. I expect that more than 50% will be invested in Israel, but we already have a portfolio company in the U.S. And I'm sure we'll cover Eastern Europe, but I'm pretty bullish about that territory as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, in terms of scope, and this would be broad, and and we can um, nail down to Israel specific. So, you know, we're happy to invest in anything that has to do with the content side of things. There are genres where I am, I feel less comfortable as an investor. Actually, you mentioned one of them, hyper casual. I think it's super competitive and dominated by very big companies today. I think a new company coming into this space, one will need endless amount of funding, and two. It's really hard to compete because really the giants of that have many advantages uh, in this space. And actually, I love hyper casual because I think it's a beautiful indie angle. And if you think about it, a lot of the people behind these games are indie developers spread all around the world. And then they have publishing uh, relationships and, and you have games that are hitting top charts. Um, Social Casino, I think, is a little bit crowded as well and very maybe on the other side of the... Uh, you know, the metric, but anything that has to do with casual, mobile, we're very excited about console and PC as well. 
Um, I'd love to invest in AAA in Israel. I think it's going to be something that we still have to create and nurture. Actually, I had an interesting call about this yesterday with one of the, you know, active groups here in Israel, um, mm-hmm. indie groups. But um, yeah, very open to any genre. Uh, naturally, Israel is more a casual mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit chicken and egg because it has to do a lot with funding as well. Yes. Yeah. And and talking, kind of looking globally now, you talked about, we've talked about Israel, obviously. You've said you're bullish about Eastern Europe. What other gaming hubs uh, do you think uh, are we about to see explode or represent kind of an opportunity for investors? So I think specifically in Eastern Europe, I think Poland, although there are very, very big companies that came out of there, is still a little bit unrepresented in terms of investments and the amount of capital going in. Um, I think there's an amazing talent pool there. It's a bit different than here. I think it's more on the creative data side or Israel's very data, but um, maybe more on the story side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. Finland, of course, continues to be, uh, you know, the kingdom, um, you know, Superstar, Rovio, etc. But I think in Mm -hmm. the Nordics, I think we see more and more stuff coming out of, um, let's say, Korea, Singapore. So, you know, I, I think... There are many gaming hubs today. I think a lot of them are already very popular of being gaming hubs, but I still also in them, there's a lot of new stuff coming. You know, maybe U.S. is a little bit ver- crowded, both of investors and opportunities, but I must mm-hmm. say that's still there. There are very interesting angles. Our focus will be mainly Eastern Europe, one, because there aren't many investors there. So a little bit like Israel, I think we have interesting opportunities. And two, because I'm, you know, I'm, I've been involved in that market for years now, and I really think that there are unbelievable opportunities. Like AAA in Poland is very common, for example. I really want a AAA company on my portfolio. That's probably where I'm going to go source for it. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at companies and evaluating them as as investment targets, what what are the qualities that you're looking for? I think it's a good question. So we're very happy with doing pre-seed early stage stuff. Two of our four existing portfolios and actually another investment that we're in process now is companies that it's a team and a presentation. So when those, you know, team, of course, very important. If they have, you know, the right background as founders or worked for game companies, I think that's a very big advantage in this space specifically. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure that we believe in the genre. Um, let me double click on that. Believe in the genre. You know, games is... is there are so many games in so many categories and so many genres. You know, there are many games that are very big, but if you look at the unit economics and the financial opportunities there, they're not that big. So I think you know, we have to make sure that we're convinced that one, there are enough users for that game and the economy is right. So even the pretty early team that's very capable, I want to make sure that I believe in the team. If the team is more advanced, of course, then we go into metrics. The number one metric, and I'm sure that majority of uh, game investors will tell you our retention metrics. They're the key factor. It's like making sure that a movie, people want to watch it over time, right? or, a, or a series or episode that has follow-on series or follow-on episodes. And then there are other metrics in terms of revenue, marketing, etc. But uh, mm-hmm. I'd say number one would be team, two genre, three KPIs. So, I mean, maybe this is this is calling genre by a, uh, by a different name. But one thing that we've talked a lot about um, over the last probably year or two years is is marketability. 
Um, and, and specifically knowing the difference between a good game and a good business. Um, so, you know, you talked about how important marketing and monetization chops are today because the ecosystem is so competitive. Um, so I, I guess as an, as an investor, knowing you, you ideally want to find both a good game and a good business, but how, how prominently does marketability feature in your sort of evaluation process? Well, it, it has to, um, and I'll explain why. First of all, to get a game out there today, and that's a little bit also why we formed the fund and I didn't continue only as an angel investor, is you need, you need the right funding. Uh, it's expensive. CPIs are expensive. You know, you need to get to enough eyeballs to make sure that you get enough traffic into your game and, and you're able to test and especially approve, not only test, because test is easy, right? But then yeah. you have to make sure that you, the changes that you made are impacted and that your users are enjoying them. So, of course, we have to understand that angle. I think what's important about the marketability angle is not only the market, you know, what we'd say market fit of the game, but is also how we're approaching this. Um, I think we're done with the days that you just uh, launch a campaign in whatever network you want, you know, add some bids, drop in a creative and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. Storytelling of things, how you approach marketing, how you think about, fa- you know, K factors and bringing organic and not only paid. What in the game is bringing in new users and what in the game is attractive enough to get people, you know, to word to mouth and share with their friends what they're doing. So I think... That's a big component. Um, I think we also add that as a lot of value as investors, you know, coming into a company like this. But of course, that's something that we would look into. So not only the market potential, um, but also, you know, understanding the strategy. And of course, how expensive it is. There are genres today that there are such major players that are investing so much money in marketing and are willing to buy payers and, you know, in, in such high prices you really have to come with a strong angle to approach them. Otherwise, chances are you're going to lose, even if you have a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I want to sort of jump to talking about the industry uh, more broadly, which you, as, as you've told us, you have quite a bit of experience in. Um, what have you sort of seen to, uh, what are the main changes you can identify in the space in the last few years? Um, and And specifically maybe within, the, the dynamic between publishers and, and developers, which, which in the end also kind of intersects with how competitive UA is uh, and, and how important marketing is becoming. Yeah, so, le- so let, me, let me start with that and then you know, I, I'll share with you what I think is the biggest trend in the industry today. Um, I think publishers are one of the biggest opportunities for developers today. It's not right for every studio, but I think actually I would copy this model to many other um, types of businesses, especially B2C businesses. Because if you think about it, not every game developer can get funding. There are amazing games. And I think the you know, the value proposition of a publisher is actually they're sponsoring one of the most expensive parts, right? Mm-hmm. Parts everybody's enjoying on the business side. But, um, but, but I think it's just an amazing opportunity. And I personally know several developers that, you know, build the game themselves started as indie developers and they build amazing companies with great publishing deals. And actually Israel is less common for that. Um, we have a very large publisher here, but that's something that we see more in the U S especially around IP and Europe. And of course, China, Japan, Korea, because there it's also a matter of culture and not only a matter of publishing. Um, 
you know, it, if you want to build an independent game studio, I don't know if that's the right angle to take. It really depends on what your end goal is, how many games you want to develop, and if you want to do it yourself or you want to publish, etc. But it, and that's a topic that we can spend probably four hours on. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of trend, which is a little bit um, different than we just uh, what we just spoke about, is and I actually had a very interesting uh, conversation with this with one of the CEOs of the leading gaming companies in uh, in the world uh, two weeks back. I think it's actually a little bit COVID. I think surfaced this a little bit, but I think the biggest trend that we're seeing today in games is that it used to be: Are you a developer for mobile? Are you a developer for PC? Are you a developer for mo- for console? And then console, where are you building on? You're building on Xbox, PlayStation, etc. I think more and more the platforms are becoming a commodity. I think Fortnite is an amazing example for that. Um, and we see games just, you know, people want to enjoy the content wherever they are. They don't really care what they're playing on. I'll quote him. He said people will later, you know, if you let them play on a toaster, they'll play on a toaster, <laughs> which I, I think is right and appealing, right? And, and if you ask me, I think that's, you know, it, it used to be, are you going to invest or are you going to develop games for consoles? And then the transition to PC would be like, it can be a different game company. Um, I think we're, we're going to see more and more opportunities open up on that angle. And I think that is one of the biggest trends that's happening today. So I'm going to potentially disagree with you or, or throw a spanner in the works um, because it's, it's true that there are, I mean, you can also just see this in kind of, both technological development and also the, the kind of the really big um, tech companies getting into uh, the gaming industry through this idea of cross, you know, cross-platform play um, and and sort of cloud and the rest of it. But um, it, I'm not sure. Here's the thing about playing on a toaster: if you are a, a hyper casual gamer. You're playing in sort of short snippets on the bus while you're waiting for the doctor on the loo. Um, you don't want to play on a on a toaster. You don't want to play on your sort of TV screen bec- or your computer or or wherever because for you it's not about kind of immersing yourself in the in the experience. It's about passing time. Equally, if you're a um, someone who's I'm not going to say like a console game player, but right someone who's ex- expecting or enjoys a more immersive experience that might not be something you want to do on your phone while waiting for the doctor or on the loo or on the bus um so i i I guess sort of i'm not really i've not given you a question um but i I guess what i'm asking is whether you think that the opportunity is is offset by what type of game experiences work best on different platforms yeah i i actually i totally agree with you um there wasn't a question mark, but I'll, I'll, I'll come to one. <laughs> Imagine one was there. <laughs> uh, but but, uh, but I think, again, of course, you know, casual always, I think, will be a more mobile thing, right? Because the, you know, what is the definition of a casual or hyper casual is the extent of that, right? People come in, it's not very long sessions. They come in and out, in and out to a game. If you go to a mid-core or a core, you have to come, you have to spare time, block your calendar. You want to move on to the next step, you know. The next mm-hmm. days, you're sometimes playing against people, so it's PvP. You're with a group, etc. So, what I'm trying to say is, I think pe- I think the content will be king, and the platform will be agnostic. Meaning that if it's a hyper casual game, you're probably 100 percent right. Right? 
I don't know, maybe they create cool hyper casual games on your toaster while you're waiting for something to do that. <laughs> for but, the uh, toast to come up, right? And Actually, it happen, right? Perfectly. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Or on the fridge or whatever it is. But uh, oh, maybe that's an idea for a startup. But um, yeah, you had it fast. Yeah, here you go. I'll invest. Um, but I think, you know, I think again that, you know, if it, it used to be very much silos. M- maybe that's a better way of putting it. Like you would develop to one platform. Sometimes in consoles, you would develop for a specific console, right? Because some of these companies don't even, you know, combine forces. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if you have a good, co- let me put it this way. If you have a good game on mobile, for developers to even think on taking it to Amazon, wasn't common at all. Today, it's very common, Right. It's another story. You can get to more eyeballs and you can offer your game out to the world. If that game could do good on PC, yeah, why not? It depends on how much you have to invest versus the opportunity, etc. Right? And and I think we're going to see, we're actually seeing this. I, I think, again, we can, maybe it's not fair to say because Fortnite is probably one of the leading games in the world today. But yeah, I think that is a good example. Um, yeah, and, and again, I think there are many interesting trends that are happening in this space um yeah i think it's a fascinating world like games is entertainment right mm-hmm. you entertain people wherever they are whatever they're doing at any spot if they're offline online on a plane or on a boat so uh yeah it's i mean it, it i think it's fast becoming the dominant uh form of consumer entertainment yeah there are con- there are places in the world where it is by far yeah yeah i mean also in terms i think of of uh of users and and revenue um it's it's outpacing certainly in terms of revenue it's outpacing yeah, box yeah. Office and, and music and but i mean of course you know this right um it's probably a part of why you guys form the fund uh so let's uh, talk about um sort of i mean we've talked about genres quite a bit uh but from your perspective what are the most interesting uh genres that have emerged or um how existing genres have developed do you see them sort of merge more, bleed into each other, um, or or rather sort of go deep um, in in evolving within their own within kind of the parameters of of each category? Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a great point. I think we do see a lot of merge. Um, some of it has to do actually with business models. Um, it used to be that a game that does in-app purchases does only in-app purchases, but you know, with marketing costs increasing. Developers understood that they do have to monetize also the players that are not going to deposit in the game, you know, which brought in ads uh, monetization and then more casual maybe. And so I think we do see mid-core and casual coming closer. Um, and I think there are games that represent that. And I think you know, same probably would be for core and mid-core. I think in general, merger of genres is something that you know we see year after year happening more and more. Of course, there are still the core genres, not specifically core, that will always be there, right? And they are usually sometimes niche, but, but you know, those niche can be very big niches, right? And if you take them to other industries, they're tremendous. Um, but yeah, I think totally there is a mishmash of, you know, many genres combined into one, especially because users are, one, looking for other things. Two, can't always spend the necessary time, you know, as we said, from mid-core or core to you know, at, devote now two or three hours for a session. I mean, three, a lot of it, I think, has to do with monetization. I think that's actually one of the biggest pillars here. Mm-hmm. You as a mid-core company want to start monetizing your non-paying users because your marketing costs are expensive and you have to find alternative business models. You're going to have to put in 
other techniques of economy and other techniques of monetization to be able to do that. So to rephrase, the increasingly competitive marketing game marketing space is pushing game design changes. Game design changes is needing for much more creativity than the traditional genre categorizing. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, and now sort of to, to finish off, I would like to talk, I mean, obviously I have a small vested interest here about the sort of technological ecosystem supporting the game industry. We have, uh, we've talked about the platforms um, and the commodification of the platforms, which probably actually could be its own um, its own podcast. But how do you see, especially as an investor, how do you see what Newzoo, um, they this the this game uh, leading game market research firm have, have come out with a map um, called they've called it the Game Tech Map. How do you see this part of the industry? Um, is it sort of does it? Attra- I mean, you guys are, are focusing on on content, but does it attract you? Do you think it's um, What's the relationship you see between the game tech ecosystem and the game industry? Yeah, so I think um, I think one could not do with the, with you know without the other. Um, I think an amazing example for that is Unity. You know, I think I don't know the exact number, but a lot of the games in the world today are based on Unity, right? Um, if you look at Roblox as a platform, that's probably the same thing. Um, I think tech is allowing game developers to do things that are much more creative. Um, much more fast. It's amazing how fast people take today titles out there. It can be a matter of months, um, which used to be much longer than that. Even the most famous games that we think of, you know, took years and years to build. And today you see talented teams coming up with pretty sophisticated games to soft launch in like six to nine months, which to me mm. is fascinating. Um I think there's also a, a layer of technology, you know, if we look on the data layer of things, if we look at the, you know, ad monetization, right, all the waterfall work on layer of things, if developers had to build all this themselves, which is not their core, right, they, they are content producers and they have to make sure that the economy is attached and the monetization and people are enjoying the game. Yeah, I think it is super critical. And, and I think it's an ecosystem that's surrounding an ecosystem, Um and we're only going to see more stuff. Like the largest tech companies in the world today are very involved and invested in this. You know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, of course, Microsoft. Um, and I think we see startups in this space, etc. As investors, the reason why we're less focusing on this is actually to support, you know, and fuel more content. I think that if we invest, there are investors today in Israel and globally that invest in uh, in tech that, of course, is game-related tech and you know, I think we can mention all the largest funds in the world um, heavily investing in this space. You know, so it's not that I'm not interested or enthusiastic about this. I just think that our role here is to really fuel the content side, which is riskier as an investor. Um, but I think that's where our money is more, you know, is more needed at this stage. Um, yeah, but I, I'm a big believer in this. And I, and I think actually the fact that the largest tech companies today are heavily investing in this space just shows how you know we're really beginning. I think games is you know really at the there's so much yet to do here and there's so much you know a lot of folks now talk about Netflix. I think they just came out with their third series that the content is based on a game and not vice versa, um, um, which you know for me that's amazing. Like yeah, is- so maybe as a as a last question, yeah. um, 
how do you where do you think we're going to see the relationship it's it's i'm kind of jumping quite broadly now but how do you see the relationship between gaming and more i'm going to call it classical entertainment um evolve over the next few years um so that that sort of um disney's a really good example or matt ball uses disney as an example um of a company that manages to kind of take its um I guess, IP or, or um, character and narrative base and monetize it across a bunch of different platforms. And by platforms, I also mean physical theme parks. Um, how do you think, and you, you just, you know, you brought Netflix as an example. How do you think we're going to see the relationship between entertainment and gaming uh, evolve? Yeah, so I think the simple answer is, I think, you know, more, the more we progress, the more they will merge. Um, I actually had a very interesting conversation with a director a pretty famous one that said that today, even when they come up with ideas, they think about the implementations of, you know, if, if how can this become a game and, you know, what type of games, etc. So I think it's already in the mindset. Um, but I think we're going to see much more gamification coming from traditional entertainment because at the end of the day, if you look at the monetization and dollar opportunity, you know, games are by far making more money and are more profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, IP is a good example. Um, I think... You know, you can really leverage IP and it's also a very big, you know, in Israel it's less popular, but uh, IP can really help you with marketing. If you bring in the right, you know, the right IP, the right content can save you a lot of uh, marketing ad spend, right? So uh, you'll just have to pay for the IP too. (laughs) Right, but you know, you're right 100%, but sometimes if you look at the initial dollar, you, you know, it may seem expensive. If you look at the, Uplift in conversion rates or uplift in what it can do in terms of K factors mm. on a broader view, not 100% sure it's more expensive than marketing so or than advertising, I'd say. So and it really depends case by case. And of course, the IP has to be right. Um, I, and to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience because in Israel, we're not that big, as I said. Um, but it can help. Yeah, yeah, and I and I totally think that you know two worlds are going to merge. Also, a lot of investors today in the game industry are, you know, they actually come from you know the Hollywood uh, mm. uh, TV uh, you know TV world. So yeah, I, I I think that's also a good testimonial of uh, things coming close to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, Eitan, thank you very much for being on the show today. It's been super interesting. A nice. Um... I guess validation that we're both working in in a in a super exciting high growth industry uh, and everyone else as always thank you for listening thank you so much